everybody. How are y'all doing? Good. I do not like this humidity. I don't know about y'all, but it's like, my goodness. I just want to say, first of all, anytime Pastor Andy gives me the honor um, of doing this, I don't take it lightly, and I appreciate it, and we are very blessed by the leadership of this church, and if you don't know how good you got it, just you need to know you've, we've got fantastic pastors, at, and we're blessed to have them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open with this. I have had some allergy stuff, and so if my throat, if I, my voice sounds like it's going in and out, I'm okay. Aren't you glad we're past the place of if you sneeze or cough, people are like, do you have COVID? <laughs> no. No, Karen, calm down. It's just live oak. It's just allergies. I'm okay. He, I think he just blew away. Did y'all see that? Like, he just blew out the door. I don't know what you, whoa. Okay. Well, um, so in preparing for today, I just let me back up a little bit. About, I don't know, a few months ago, our youngest baby got engaged, and um, which is great because they're getting married at the, end of, at the end of December, but that's two weddings in less than a year and a half. Um, which means my kids hate me. No, I'm just kidding. It's just like, wow, do we have to do all this this quickly? Whatever. But when your children get married, when they graduate from high school, college, whatever, big things that happen in life cause you to stop and reflect on their life, right? And um, so we've been doing a lot of reflecting and a lot of remember when. And in preparing for today, I thought about a season in Hayden's life when she was three years old and um, it, it Got me so tickled, I was asking her about it, and she was like, yeah, I remember, whatever, whatever. But um, let me give you a little perspective. I was born in the late 70s, so I grew up 80s and 90s. I was a kid of the 80s and 90s. But I grew up in a very strict, charismatic home um, where everything was hellfire and brimstone, and it was always about hell, okay? So at three years old, when Hayden tells us she has an imaginary friend, Phil sees it as creative. I'm like, is she talking to the devil? Like... <laughs> Are we sure this is okay? It feels like, Amber, you've got to calm down. I'm like, dude, she's talking to something and nothing's talking back and I don't, I don't know about all this. And he's like, she's gonna be all right. Well, her imaginary friend's name was Lucy Kawana. And I would say, are you saying Lucy? And she's like, no, mom, I know how to talk. It's not Lucy, it's Lucy. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And we learned really quick um, some stuff about Lucy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna poll you guys. You can say, well, I don't know your kid. You don't have to know my kid. If you're a parent, an aunt, an uncle, or if you've been around children, I want you to take part in this poll. When you're around a group of kids, two or more, and something gets broke, someone gets hurt, something goes missing, and you ask them, who did this? What is the answer? I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. Not me. Somebody else. Okay, good. We all are on the same page. So Hayden began to, Lucy Kawana began to be the fall guy for Hayden. <laughs> and Lucy Kawana also evolved into Hayden's other personality. It was really weird. I kept thinking, do we need to get her counseling? This is so bizarre. Feels like she's going to be okay. I'm like, I don't know. Like, this is weird. But Hayden, I would tell her, I would say, Hayden, it's time to take a nap. And she'd say, oh, I'm Lucy Kawana. I'm eight years old. I am all grown. I don't take naps. And I would look at her, I said, well, Lucy, you better find Hayden and tell her in 20 seconds she better be in bed or I'm going to spank her rear end. And she's like. <laughs> One day we had made a bunch of cookies. We were having a bunch of people over and made cookies. And Hayden had eaten a lot of them and she wasn't supposed to eat any of them. 
And she's like, my stomach hurts. And I said, well, who ate all the cookies? Lucy did. And I'm like, well, then why does your stomach hurt? She's like, I don't know, you know. So Lucy took the blame for everything. She would hit her brother. Lucy hit Justice. And he was like, Hayden hit me. I don't know who Lucy is, but Hayden hit me. And so it's, it's so interesting to me. And I like reflecting on this. We've laughed about it a lot. But I, I realize, and you guys just confirmed it with our little question, um, it's in human nature to put the blame on somebody else, to not want to take responsibility. Like when you're in trouble, even as adults, be honest, nobody wants to say, yeah, man, I, I did it. I messed up. That was me. That's not, that's not something we desire to do. That's not something we want to always own. And last week, Pastor Randy was talking to us about the Holy Spirit. And I think that I want to take it to another level with that. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What responsibility do I have in my relationship with God? What responsibility do I have in my relationship with God? Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Let me make this clear. Salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned. There's nothing about you, your credentials, your money, how big of a truck you drive, how cute you are, who your mom and daddy is. Nothing about you can earn salvation. It is a gift. Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. So it's a gift. However, when it comes to a life that is lived as a Christ follower, operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit as a believer, we have a responsibility. Because if it was just about salvation, and I've said this a million times, if it was just about salvation, the moment a person got saved, they'd be gone. But here we are, sucking air. We've got a responsibility. God's called us. He paid the price for our sins. He's done everything on his part. Now it is about a relationship, and it's coming in partnership with him. And I mean, I get it. Who doesn't want to sit in a comfy rocking chair, drinking sweet tea, waiting on God to do what God's going to do? Like, we would all love that, right? Like, oh, look at what God's doing. But that's not the way it works. And you see that threaded through Scripture. He has partnered with mankind. He wants a partnership. So I, I, I did a little bit of research, and I was looking it up, and it says the purpose of gifts of the Spirit are to edify or build up, exhort or encourage, and comfort the church. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for you, but not just you. It's not about, and if that makes you uncomfortable, you're going to be okay. It's not just about what we get out of it. It's not just about how can I grow myself. It's about giving us the tools we need to reach a world we're called to. Because church is not these four walls. It's the people sitting in the seats. You are the church. I am the church. Those of you watching online are the church. And what we do outside of the norm is what God's calling us to reach the people that he paid a very precious price for. So we're going to camp today in just one, one chapter in the Bible. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 18. If you, look on, if you, do, the, if you do the Bible app, um, we're in the New Living Translation. But this is a very, really it's a very simple concept, but it's super profound. 
And as I've been studying this and reading this, I've watched just in my own personal life, God's just really just wrecking me in some of this. So I want to I share that with you today. First Kings 18, 1 and 2, it says, Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I, am, that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Okay, so a little backstory there. Israel had turned their back on God. God's people had turned their back on God. Now, before I go any further, today, how about we not listen to this story or study this story as, oh, Israel, you shouldn't have done that, because I'm going to tell you a secret. Israel's not much different than the United States. So today, as we talk about Israel, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of us, okay? Israel turned their back on God. They opened up to idol worship. And you say, well, we don't worship idols. Really? We might not call our, our idols Baal, but we call them Apple phones, Facebook. At our house in March, March Madness. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like there's everybody, we have Rodeo World, whatever. We have things that become idols if we're not careful. And so they turned their back on and Elijah, Elijah was upset. He prayed for God to stop the rain and God did for three years. Can you imagine what it would be like for our crops, for our animals, for your grass, for life in general, for no rain for three years? So, of course, this upset Ahab big time. King Ahab was mad. So Elijah ran and hid. And I want you to know this is so cool to me. He, he was hiding and ravens would bring him food. I don't know. I don't know if you think that's cool or not. Like, just imagine. You're just sitting there, and a raven shows up with a Big Mac, and you're like, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Here's what I think is important for us to understand. When you do what God asks you to do, when you step out in what God's asking you to do, even when it's not popular, even when other people don't buy into it, God takes care of his people. If he's asking you to do something, he'll provide what you need to do it. I promise you that. So ravens were showing up with food. And then God tells him, and this is another part of the story, and this could, we could go on for this one a long time. We're not going to, but I'm going to touch on it. He tells him, go to this widow. She's going to take care of you. He's like, all right. So he goes to this widow, and he's like, hey, can you give me something to eat? And she said, well, I have enough flour and oil to make one loaf of bread for my son and I. We're going to eat it and die. Like, how depressing is that? He's like, no, how about you still give me that bread? And here's what I promise you. If you will take care of me, God will take care of you until this drought is over. Every day there will be enough oil and flour to make bread. She did it and God did it. So he's in hiding. All this is happening. And this is what brings us to the verse we just read. So then verses 3 through 40, what we have is Ahab decides we got to find water. So he sends a guy named Obadiah. Coolest name ever. If you're thinking about having children and looking for a name, Obadiah is a strong name. Like, nobody's going to beat up Obadiah on the playground. I promise you that. <laughs> Obadiah walks in, and he just comes in like gangbusters. He owns the school, right? So Obadiah in Scripture is a mighty man of God. He was a devout follower of God. And the king sends him out to look for water. And in the process of looking for water, he runs into Elijah. And he recognizes Elijah, and he's excited, and he falls to the ground. He's like, so thankful, whatever, and they hug, and they talk. And Elijah says, hey, go tell Ahab, you found me, I'm here. And all of a sudden, the joy, whoop, 
He's like, uh, no. Because he's been looking for you to kill you, and I know how this works. As soon as I go tell King Ahab that I found you, the Spirit of God's going to make you disappear, and then he's going to kill me because you're not here. And he says to him, I promise, if you will tell him I'm here, I'll stay and I'll be here when he gets back. So Obadiah does it. Then Ahab shows up. And in verse 17 and 19, this is how it reads. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it is really you, the troublemaker of Israel. I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now, summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. Now, I want you to understand, remember I talked about point and blame? King Ahab knew better. He was the king of Israel. He was the king of God's people. He knew what he should do, and he didn't. There are people in government offices that know right and don't do it. There are people in church leadership around this nation that know what's right and don't do it. There are those of us in the room that sometimes we know what's right and we don't do it. So what do we do? He pulled a Lucy Kiwana. He said, you, you're the problem maker in Israel. And he said, it ain't me, dude. It's you and that crazy wife you're married to. Y'all the one causing all this stuff. I'm not taking ownership of it, but you are. And so then he like does that whole meet me on the playground. He said, go get everybody and meet me at Mount Carmel. And so Ahab does. Elijah stands before them, and this is what he says in verse 21. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Y'all, we can camp on that for a second. God is speaking, always. He's getting people's attention all the time. The, the, the word of God doesn't change. It hasn't changed. And the church has access to that word. And I believe there's things God's called us to do, God, things God's telling us to do. And I think the church as a whole has been silent far too often. We stand by and let things happen that we shouldn't let happen. You say, not me, that's not true. Look, hold on, hold on, I'm not attacking you personally. I'm, I, me too. There's things happening in our world, and I'll be honest, there's many times that I'm like, oh, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should step up, and somebody is us, right? And so they stayed silent. These are not people that are clueless. These are the children of Israel so Elijah explains to them, he says, look, I am the only, only prophet of God left. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. So Elijah says, look, we're gonna, we're, I know what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to build two altars. You're going to build an altar for that God you serve, and I'm going to build an altar for the real God. And what we, I need you to go get two bulls, and we're going to sacrifice these two bulls. And we're not going to light them up, but we're going to let the real God set fire to the altar. He said, and you can go first. So these 450 prophets build this altar 
and they cut up some wood and they put it on top and they cut up this bull and they put the bull on top. And the Bible says they begin to chant and pray and sing and dance before Baal. For hours they did this. And Elijah being kind of funny, I think he's funny in this moment. I'm like, ah, but he was a funny guy. He's like, oh, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you should get a little louder. Maybe he went somewhere and didn't tell you he was leaving. Get louder. And they're like, okay. So they get louder and they're screaming at Baal for hours. Scripture says that it went so far that they begin to cut themselves, bleeding out, hoping that that would get Baal's attention. Incredibly demonic. For hours bleeding out, screaming. And you know what happened? Nothing. So Elijah said, okay, hold on. You've had your chance. It's not worked out really well for you. Y'all come over here. And the Bible says that he took the 12 stones, he rebuilt the altar, he repaired the altar. The 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel rebuilds an altar and then digs a big trench around it. Cuts up wood, cuts up the bull, Puts it on top. And he says, I need y'all to go get four jugs of water. Each jug, I, I looked it up earlier, each jug supposedly representing about three gallons of water. That's a lot of water for a, a nation that's had a drought for three years. He says, pour it over, four jugs. And he had them do it three times to where this altar was so drenched that the, that the trench around it was completely full. It was saturated, and they stood and watched. Seriously, imagine this for a second. One guy, one person, standing for God, while everybody stood by to watch what's going to happen. And that brings us to verse 36 through 39. At the usual time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Here's what's amazing, and here's what you gotta get. He didn't say, God, punish them because they've turned their back on you. He said, let them see that you're calling them back to you. And God did that very thing. They all fell to the ground, crying out that he is Lord. Then Elijah was like, okay, now here's what we got to do. We got to take care of business. So he had them seize all 450 of these prophets and had them killed, every single one of them. No one escaped. And then it brings us to verse 41 through 46. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of the Mount, of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. I would show you what that looks like, but I wouldn't be able to get up, okay? <laughs> you should try it at home later, but make sure you have help. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. 
The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. When the Lord gave special strength to Elijah, he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariots all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. You know what that makes me think of? Y'all remember when you were kids and you'd get new tennis shoes and you'd get them at the mall and you'd wear them out of the store and all of a sudden you were the fastest person and your mom couldn't keep up with you, just take off? He got his new kicks that day. That's what I picture in my head. I don't know, that's not biblical, but like he just takes off and outruns the chariot. Here's what I think is important. The Bible doesn't say that Ahab fell to his face and called the Lord God, the Lord God. As a matter of fact, later on we find out that he, did not, he was not for that anyway. His heart was hardened. He had to go home to Jezebel and just say, hey, all your prophets are dead. Uh, here's flowers. I mean, like, what, what was that going to look like, right? And so he had to do the only thing he could do. Go eat and drink something. Go get your burger and a milkshake. There's a rainstorm coming. And you can say, well, that's not true. God can do whatever he wants. You're right, God can do whatever he wants. But the one thing God can't do is change your heart. That's up to you. That's up to me. That was up to the king. And his heart was hardened. And we can sit here and wait on God to do something in our lives. But friend, sometimes we've got to adjust our heart. Sometimes we've got to check ourselves and go, okay, what part of this do I play? What responsibility do I have in this? Back to our responsibility when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I've got one thing. I've got one point for you this whole day. One thing for you to take home. And I believe if you get this, it will change your life. And that is people are watching. People are watching. Well, I don't want people to watch me. Well, they are. People are watching. The people were who were all in, like Obadiah. He was committed to God. He was a devout follower of God. And he was watching what Elijah did. He trusted God. He loved God. And yet he said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not trying to die. I don't want to go tell King Ahab that you're here. Do you know what he's been doing to people? Like, no. He's watching to see people, believers, your friends, your neighbors, the people in this church that you're doing life with. They're watching. Not just when we get to celebrate the good things, but what about when you get the bad reports? What about when finances are off? What about when there's a struggle in your marriage? What about when you have teenagers? They're watching how we respond. You know who else is watching? The people who have walked away. For them, it was the people of God, the, the Israelites. They're watching. Oh, you say you're different. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. You go over there to that Lone Star Cowboy Church. How are you any different than me? They're watching to see if we're different. They're watching to see if we practice and live the gospel that we preach. They're watching to see if when things get hard, do we stand firm or do we crumble? They're watching. And you know who else is watching? I thought this was cool. That little servant 
You ever think about what that was like? Time four, dude, I've already been four times. There is no clouds. I don't know what you want me to look for. And why are you in a circle on the ground? Can you breathe like that? I don't think so. He went seven times. And I'm sure on that seventh time, he was like, oh, finally a cloud. It's say he's like, hey, uh, so there's a cloud. It's like this big. And Elijah's like, run, tell Ahab. He's like, okay, okay. And just not even knowing why it was exciting, right? Because it didn't seem like much. But you can't tell me that watching Elijah trust God with faith on things he didn't see yet, on what God had already spoken, but he didn't see yet. Y'all listen to me. God's speaking to some of your hearts. God's telling some of you he's been promising you things, things that he's going to bring your kids back to him. He's going to restore your marriage. He's going to open opportunities for you. If God's promised you that just because you don't see it, get ready for rain. It's coming. Well, I just don't know if I believe that. Okay, well, then sit there in your disbelief. What's it hurting you to trust God and see what happens? So this young man is watching this process. He's watching. And then finally, and I'm going to tell you, y'all need to know this. You know who else is watching? The enemy. He's watching. The Bible says that the mind is the battlefield. Where is the enemy messing with you? He's messing with you in your thoughts. It's not, listen, you're not crazy. It's not, you're like, oh, I thought that was just me. No, it's not. You're like having a good day. He's like, remember that thought you had last week? What a loser are you? And you're like, oh my goodness, I, f- I forgot about that thought. Oh, you know, and then you, we begin to beat ourselves up. The Bible says we have the word of God and it's a tool for us to use. And the enemy watches us give our life, our heart to Christ. And he's watching to see if we'll give our life to it. Are you gonna walk out the fullness of your calling? Are you gonna do something with what God's given you? Are you gonna buy in to the fact that he loves you and believes in you and he sees you and he knows your name? Are you? Are you? I'm watching. I want you to fail. I want you to stumble. And you know what's crazy is it's like, just like those people, we get caught in sludge. Do you know what I'm talking about? We get comfortable in the sludge. I dare you to go home this afternoon, spend some time by yourself, and evaluate your heart. God, are there things in my life that I am comfortable with, that I've, I've embraced and I've become okay with, an attitude, an action, whatever, that are completely apart and separate from what you have for me and what you've called for me. Well, I don't want to do that. That's, con- that's con- condemnation. No, friend, that's conviction, and we need that. Conviction causes us to get up and move. Conviction causes us to not set idle when God's calling us to move forward. Conviction is the same thing that causes a bird to get out of the nest. You've heard the whole scenario of the boiling frog, the pot with the frog. The enemy would love for us to just be like, yeah, I love Jesus. Hmm. And just sit and do nothing with that. He's watching. People are watching. So I have a friend, I say he's my dear friend, but I know anybody that knows him uses words like he's my dear friend, he's my best friend, I love him, he's been very influential in my life. If you don't know Coach Randy Shelley, you are missing out. If you're like, who is that? Can we put him and Miss Ann? This is Coach and Ann, and I, we love them so, so very much. Our, our family adores them. But Coach has started writing cowboy poetry. 
And it has been, I set, I, I set my Facebook notifications to let me know when he posts because I enjoy reading them. I think they're really cool. So if you, you can go follow him on Facebook and read all these. But he's, he's been writing poetry and it's actually really cool. And he wrote one um, on April 30th and I asked him, I said, hey, can I share this? And he said, yes. And I'm telling you, the day that he writes a book, I'll be the first person to buy it because it's so good. Um, the poem that he wrote was inspired by what he called Mutton Buster Colton. Uh, Colton Conley. Let's show him Colton Conley. Look, if you're having a bad day, you're not anymore. Look at that little guy. I told, listen, y'all, I told Colton, keep that picture up there. I told Colton the other day, I said, hey, did you know I'm going to tell the church your poem? He said, yeah. He said, PA, can I ask you a question? He closes, when he has a question, he closes one eye and looks at me kind of like Popeye. He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, am I your third favorite person in the world? And he said, you know, God and Jesus and then me. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, kind of, definitely God and Jesus. But then I have my husband and my kids, and then you're right there. And he goes, okay, I like that. I mean, just the funniest kid. But I want to read this poem to you as you're looking at this picture of the cutest little cowboy you ever saw. It says, the cowboy at the fence. See that cowboy standing there watching through the fence? The one with chaps and a straw hat on? Hours there he has spent. He's focused on every detail. Please know he's watching you. He'll mimic his life forward by everything you do. He'll see you take your hat off at the anthem and at the prayer. He's learning by your actions while he's just standing there. He'll notice when you buck off. How do you react? Will you come up throwing dirt? Is cussing how you act? Or do you give that bull or horse the honor it deserves? For the, doing the job he's expected to do, fulfilling the purpose it serves. If you're a roper or a steer dogger, are you gentle with your horse? Or do you manhandle him to make him stay the course? After you're real successful, when you've been the best, do you look up to heaven or do you beat your chest? When you win your buckle, humble will you stay? Will you give thanks to the Lord for blessing you today? Do you beat up on your chest saying, look at me, or just speak the performance, or let, sorry, or just let the performance speak for that cowboy to see? The future of this cowboy watching what you do. They love the sport of rodeo, and they want to be like you. So cowboys in the arena from this point hence, remember there's future cowboys watching through the fence. To the parents of this cowboy, do your best to teach him well. Show him how real cowboys act in your actions, his future dwells. Isn't that awesome? Y'all give Coach a hand. <laughs> you may be sitting there going, okay, lady, what does taking responsibility, Elijah preparing for rain, and Coach Shelley writing about Lil Colton have in common? Well, if you're not tracking, here's what I'm saying we have responsibility, people are watching. And the days of Sunday Christianity is over. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back. Thank you, Caleb, for that one amen. The days of Sunday Christianity is over. And let me tell you why. Because if you think when you get up from these blue chairs and you go home, the Holy Spirit's going to stay here and wait for you to come back next week. This is not the church. This is a place for the church to meet. You, me, we're the church. The days of checking off boxes needs to end. I think it's super destructive 
to the way we think of the church because it was never the intention of God for the church to look like this. It's so important that we come together. We have to, look, we have to do life together. We need community. We need each other. We do. We have to have people that we do life with. But there's a world out there that needs what we have. And God's got you to be the person to go tell that world. I want to share a little story with you. I didn't even ask him, so I'm not going to say his name or all the details. But I have a student who I love with my whole heart. And dynamic athlete, dynamic person, and was, has been dealing with some stuff physically. And they can't figure out what's wrong with him. And when you can't figure out what's wrong with him, he's a kid. So because there's not an answer, it starts, it's been messing with his head, right? You're like, well, what's wrong? We don't know. And it's been, it's making him stressed and angry and depressed and he's like freaking out. And so his doctor sent him to Quest Lab to take blood. Have you ever been to Quest Lab? They take all your blood. They're like, take, every time you go in, they're like 75 vials of blood and they're like, you'll be all right. You're like, I'm gonna die in the parking lot. You just took everything I had. Do you want my kidneys too? And he told me, he said, they sent me to Quest. And he goes in, and the nurse, the, the lady's talking to him and everything, and she's taking all his blood. And she said, why? Why are you in here? And he said, to give you my blood. And she said, yes, but why are they having you take, why are they, why are they taking all this blood? And he said, I don't know why, but I just told her everything. I just poured my heart out to this little nurse. And she looked at him real intently and she said, she looked down the hallway. She said, can I pray for you? And before he said yes, she had that door closed and her hands on him. <laughs> she didn't say, little boy, are you a believer? She just said, can I pray for you? And she put her hands on him and she prayed that whatever was going on in his body, that from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, that the spirit of God would fill him up. And that what was going on in his blood and what was going on in his mind and what was going on in his body would stop right now in the name of Jesus. She prayed that the doctors would figure out what they needed to figure out and that he would go on to be the man that he was called to be. She said, amen. She told him to go home. He said, PA, I haven't had any problems since I left Quest. <laughs> now, if Quest ever fires that lady, be watching my Facebook because we're going to do a, what are they, that's, raise money thing. We're going to keep that lady going. Like, I'm like, that's the most amazing thing. But here, why am I telling you that story? Because she's normal just like you and me. She didn't have to go on some big adventure from God. She walked in the fullness of the call of God in her life in the moment that she was in. We got to stop making excuses. We got to stop saying, she didn't say, honey, why don't you go to your church Sunday and have them pray for you? She said, wait a minute, I'm the church. I'm what's up. Let's do this. She laid her hands on this boy and God touched his body. So what about you? What about on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, today after church? If you choose not to partake in the amazing hamburgers happening behind us and you go to a restaurant, how are you going to treat your waitress? We got to stop being Christians when it's a Christian-y thing to do. And we got to start being followers of Christ with everything we do and everything we say. Now, are you going to mess up? Absolutely. Are you going to fail and miss the mark? Sure. But what happens if we started acting like the quest lady? I don't even know her name. I want to be her best friend. 
What happens if we start going, wait a minute, there's an opportunity that God has put in front of me. And because the Spirit of God is on me, I have the right and responsibility to speak truth into this baby's life and watch God do something. What happens if you and I start walking our life out in such a way where we don't have to stand and do this weird evangelistic thing on the corner prophesying over people, we just live it out in our everyday life? What happens? What happens if people look at us, they see something different? You know what? That's the problem. That's the problem. And if this hurts your feelings, you're going to be okay. The world doesn't see anything different when they look at the church. They're watching us. God, they're watching us. People should look at you, and when they find out that you're a Christian, they should be like, look, man, can, can you pray for me? Can I talk to you? Can I ask you a question and you not judge me? Can I come sit with you on Sunday? Can I come to your house for dinner? I don't know you. I don't know your story. But if your life doesn't look different than the lives of the people God's called us to connect with, we have a problem. But I'm telling you, there's hope. Because you're called and you're anointed today to go and do and be the very person God created you to be. Your past doesn't define you. Your financial situation doesn't define you. Your age does not define you. Your mobility does not define you. The Spirit of God is on you. And if God can use you and say, well, but look at what, okay, that's precious, Amber, bless your heart. But look what's happening in our school system. Look what's happening in our government. Y'all, the nation of Israel was led by the most evil woman and king ever in the history of history, and God showed up. And if God can bring rain to Israel, God can bring rain to Montgomery, Texas. He can bring rain to your life. For those of you who are believing for restoration in your marriage, your family, for your children, for healing, for whatever's going on in your finances, don't stop believing. Start preparing for rain. Start thanking God in advance for what he's already promised he would do. But I'm struggling. That's where we need the body of Christ. That's when you say, I'm struggling. Hey, I'm struggling. Can you pray with me? Can you pray with me? Because I'm struggling. It's okay to admit that you don't have all the strength. But when two or more are gathered together in anything, he shows up. Let's bow our heads. Pray. Let's pray real quick. We ask this question every week, and I think it is the most important question. And not because... The act itself, but it's the prayer and the heart change that happens. If you're in here right now and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, the Bible says if we believe in our heart and then confess with our mouth, he will forgive us of our sins. There's something powerful about saying, you know what, I need God. And to publicly declare that and to watch God transform your life. If you're in here and you've never made him Lord of your life, I would love to pray with you. If that's you, can you raise your hand? Anybody in here, we'd love to put a Bible in your hand and we'd love to pray with you right now. Anybody at all? Okay. Can you all stand to your feet, please? I'm gonna tell you something. <laughs> this is the coolest part. 
God will never limit what he can do in your life. The limitation's up to you. What if we walked out of here today believing that he had a plan, trusting that he would lead and order our steps and be unafraid and unashamed to walk out who he's called us to be. We can change this world for Jesus. I tell people all the time, when you see something good in somebody, tell them. If you like somebody's hair, tell them you like their hair. Well, I don't know them. That's not weird. You know, you know how it feels when somebody gives you a compliment. You're like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> New product. <laughs> Start by just being approachable. Like this isn't rocket science. Smile, like start there, that's, that's a good one. Smile, be approachable. Look for opportunities for God to speak through you. Look for opportunities for God to use you. And when you feel that urge, don't ignore it, move on it. I'm not saying you have to go to the grocery store and prophesy over somebody in the produce. They're like, look, I'm just trying to buy green beans. I don't wanna go to China. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what you have to do. But if God tells you to do that, you should do that, right? But start with just being available and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Watching the people that are watching you and looking for opportunity to show the world that Jesus is real, he's solid, he loves them, he knows their name, and he has a plan for their life, just like he does for you and I. Let's pray, bow your heads. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for every person here and every person watching online. God, I thank you. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you came to this earth, you put on skin, you died for our sins. I thank you for that. But I thank you that it's so much more than that. This is not about when we get to heaven. It's about what your word says, bringing heaven to earth. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that every day we get to live our life with you. Help us, Lord, to live accordingly. Help us to realize that when we wake up, your spirit is there. When we go to bed, your spirit is there. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the gym, when we go to do whatever it is we're doing, you go with us. And Lord, it's for a purpose. Help us not to get caught up in the monotony of our day and the boredom of our life, waiting for you to do something big. It's time for us to get up and get moving. Lord Jesus, help us for the people who are watching to be the example of your goodness, your grace and mercy and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Wow, what a great time to be alive. What a great time to be used by Jesus. Lord, bring us back safely next week. Help us, God, to stay connected, get involved. But most importantly, Lord Jesus, help us to listen to you, trust your voice, and let you guide and order our steps in your precious name. We love you so much. Bless the food that we're about to eat to the nourishment of our body wherever we're about to eat. Help it be calorie-free and help us be nice to the people serving us. In your name, amen. Hey, we got prayer partners up here to pray with you. Men and children, next Sunday is Mother's Day. You're welcome. We'll see y'all next week. Have a great day.